Back to your ones. Reset. Everyone back to your ones. Now we cut. Everyone back to one. Okay. Here we go. Everyone in your ones. Here we go. So I am really excited about our guest today. Really? Tell me about it. Okay, so she has been called in Hollywood the script whisperer. That's so perfect. That's a perfect name for her. I know. She's really amazing. I am pretty astounded that she wants uh, anything to do with us in our podcast. She is, to me, like in the stratosphere of awesome. Um, Pilar Alessandra is the director of the instructional writing program on the page. And she does the On the Page podcast, which is a great resource for writers. It's just a wonderful interview show um, with kind of every aspect of screenwriting. And she's a like super sought-after speaker and writing coach. She's trained writers through like the Hillman Grad Mentorship Program, Disney Animation, ABC DreamWorks, NBC Universal TV. Like, she's incredible. One of my favorite things about her as well is that, you know, as writers, oftentimes we're trying to work through problems, work through issues that are common issues that a lot of writers have. And sometimes you just need a roadmap. I remember this one time I was writing this uh, fight thing and you shared the roadmap that she created for how to write a great fight scene. And I didn't even realize that I was missing some of these key points. And they're not like complicated. They're like action steps. And then when you do it, you're like, oh my God, my script just elevated. You see things differently. It's like being in the Matrix and you like see the code out of nowhere. It's really... um really fantastic yeah she just has an incredible like i I guess you know to me it feels innate it's obviously from her years of experience working in development at sort of the highest levels in hollywood but um she can just hear your idea you know i've taken her classes and will as students like stumble through trying to explain what our logline might be or you know various aspects of the work and she can in an instant like pinpoint what it's really about rework it into like a perfect log line or she'll have the exact right question to help you realize where the holes are but she doesn't take you down like confusing useless rabbit holes it's very specific very actionable and meaningful and like my work has absolutely gotten better because of it yeah getting actionable feedback in an artistic form is often rare right and we were talking at one point about getting feedback on your scripts getting feedback on your edit and then having people just maybe sometimes give you the wrong feedback or just not respond it's really nice when you have a person who understands all sorts of genres all sorts of angles so in this conversation we're having today we're going to go down a couple of different really cool things we're going to talk about her first script doctoring job which she may have stumbled in backwards because she's brilliant and a friend saw that we're going to talk a little bit about you know what it means to give and receive feedback from people when you're showing your script or even showing an edit even talking about as you evolve as as a writer and you may have gotten in the industry as uh, one way like comedy and now you're trying to evolve into another type of writer and how do you talk to your manager and agent and even what do you do and how do you raise your hand appropriately when you're in a writer's room and you've been staffed and maybe you're you're the new person but you're trying to make sure your voice is heard is a fantastic conversation yeah yeah huge amazing honor to have her on our show um and she's also just a really generous person she's done several workshops for women of color filmmakers an organization that as you know is near and dear to my heart um and she's just yeah an all-around fabulous person to be with so without further ado let's do it 
Welcome to uh, Back to Your Ones. Oh, thank you. It's such a <laughs> pleasure to be here. I'm a big fan of both of you. And you were, re you were very good students. Very good. We're super nerdy, so, you know. <laughs> I, I have to admit, though, you know, I'm one of those people who've been watching your videos on YouTube when I'm stuck. I would pull them up in my writing process for years, you know, trying to figure out ways to make sure my scripts are working. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was happy to have the opportunity to take uh, your feature writing class when I was in the middle of a feature that I was trying to get get unstuck your yeah. godsend in my eyes so I'm so happy that you're here with us today yeah well and me me as well you know with my my series like take Pilar's classes and workshops and you know really truly influential and helpful in our lives great I think I think the podcast is over now right yeah. okay great so yeah. wrapping right. it up there's your commercial for your yes, next thank you uh, workshops yeah <laughs> Well, great. Well, you know, jumping right in, you know, we were wondering if you could just take us back in time, like back to your first job when you were, you know, that new kid in Hollywood and it's your first professional script that you've been asked to review and, and do coverage. Like, were you nervous? Was there like a story about that first big script that you read before it was produced? I didn't have any idea what I was doing. I think that's very helpful when you're <laughs> young and in the industry. I think ignorance is bliss. I was literally selling sandwiches out of a cart. I was one of those sort of over-educated, underemployed 20-somethings. I was supposed to be out here with my boyfriend and he changed his mind. Gotcha. So I was kind of like floating around like, I don't know, I've got this gig selling sandwiches. And a friend of mine was like, remember how you used to love analyzing literature in college and you would do these great papers? And she was like, could you do that for me for this production company that I'm that I'm in? And it was a company called Cineville. Um, Allison Anders was like the, the hot indie filmmaker of at that time. She'd done something called Gas Food Lodging and Me Vita Loca. Okay. And I was like, Yeah, sure, I'll read. You know, so I was just reading scripts. I don't even remember what they are, but I, you know, <laughs> I wrote a bunch of coverages up, and then somebody was like hey, stupid, you can get paid for that, you know? And I was like, what? <laughs> what? There's a job where you can get paid to do th this really fun thing. And so um, I submitted my samples to Amplin Entertainment. So I wasn't nervous because I had no idea what I was doing. And even when I got to Amblin, it, it the reality of it, you know, like, oh, you're working for Steven Spielberg and his company. Right. Never really, it it didn't hit the way that it should have. Um, there have been other moments in my life where I'm like, whoa, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I was so green and I was so learning on the job and I was so clueless. It was very helpful. Not a bad first job. Man. Right. Yeah. Not a bad one. Yeah. I have a question with that. What what are the samples you submit, you know, if if you're trying to get a job doing coverage and, you know, working sure. on work? Well, people should know that the job of being a script reader has changed over the years. So when I was in my 20s, um, you could make a living as just a script reader reading for any production company. They all had sort of script reader pools and they were, you know, made up of, you know, young people who um, loved to write about films. Um, and so there was a lot more opportunity. So, so. At the time, if you wanted to submit your samples, um, you could submit your your coverage samples and get get work. I'm just saying that because now you're probably submitting them for a job as an assistant to creative executive, 
or an assistant to a producer because you'll now be vetting that material for them. So you'll be both assisting them and doing script coverage because they started to realize, wait, why pay two people when they could pay one? (laughs) Even Or you're not going for a paid job at all. You're going for an internship. Mm-hmm. that will eventually springboard you into a development position. So I just want to say that this is not like a huge, like get rich thing, write your coverage. This is about the beginning of a career. Mm-hmm. Right. If you are submitting your samples, you want three samples in different genres um, and one that at least shows what you are interested in. A lot of people will just put like three past coverages, didn't like it, didn't like it, didn't like it. Well, now the company doesn't know what you do like, what you do favor. Mm-hmm. So that is what I would suggest is, is different different genres and something you like. One of the things I was thinking about too uh, is how, to, how do you have the confidence when you're a young writer to say, these are my opinions. This is what I like. This is what could change. Can you talk about that a little bit when you're doing your first big coverage for Amblin or something like that and having the coverage to give feedback as the young new person in the room? Well, I think we all do it naturally. We all go to the movies or we watch TV and we get on our phones or we start typing up opinions all the time. And we usually start with a premise or, or a thesis, if you will. I love this movie because, or I hated this movie because. And then just like you learned in high school or in college, you back it up with supporting examples. And so we do it naturally. We, we say, ah, I can stand this because, right? And then we start saying like that scene where this happened, right? Mm-hmm. So we're doing that even verbally. So now, as far as getting the confidence, if you have the confidence to do that with friends, you probably have the confidence to actually write it for a production company in slightly um, more sophisticated language. Right. Um, but, it's, but it's like that. They want, they want to hear what you have to say. And of course, they'll make up their own mind too, mm-hmm. but you're, you're the first gatekeeper and, and they trust you. They trust your opinion. They trust your sensibility. So feel confident enough that you even got that job to, to write a coverage. You know, young writers who are trying to get feedback, maybe even from their circle of friends or, you know, people in their world, do you have advice for them in terms of how to receive feedback and maybe for people who are giving it, like how to constructively give meaningful feedback? I, again, I'm very big on thesis, right? I'm, I'm very big on what's this one thing that was contributing to your read or getting in the way of your read? rather than a list, a laundry list of, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. I didn't like the other thing. It's like, well, that's not helpful at all. It's not helpful in coverage. It's certainly not helpful when you're giving feedback to a friend. So you might want to say, I get what you're trying to do. Here's your intention, I believe. Mm-hmm. You like parrot that and then say, this is where I think you're meeting that intention or not meeting that intention. And if you as the writer are receiving notes that are all over the place. You can ask them to to focus a little bit more. What what do you believe I was going for here? Oh, you were going for this. Okay. What's that one thing that got in your way? Mm-hmm. So focus your notes or get your note giver to to focus for you. That's that's a good point. And I'm kind of gonna double back a little bit to the point where you're just starting to write the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us are getting in the world of trying to find out formulas, trying to find books, you know, trying to see if I can make it 
work if I just paint by number. And I want to know if you could talk a little bit about structuring a movie and whether or not that's advisable to stick to a specific famous structure or famous, uh, you know, paint by number writing and how much you go off on your own path and write, just write, 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 even though if you go into like a thousand pages because you're just writing into the void. <laughs> like, what's that balance between finding formula and just free writing? I think that there is a, a wide arc between formula and free writing. I don't think it's one or the other. Um, I certainly wouldn't say write by formula or write paint by numbers because then everybody can see your story coming from a mile away, right? You've, you've, you've watched those movies or you've read those scripts and you, you knew what was ahead. So that's not going to help. On the other hand, just kind of writing and writing and writing and not having a plan <laughs> can sometimes get you in a mess. And, you know, everybody's been there too. So my feeling is um, this, this plan can easily begin. Uh, just, just think about your big, beginning, middle and end. If you were telling this story to a friend or even as a bedtime story to a kid, what was your, would be your beginning, right? What would be your middle? What would be your end? So once upon a time, there was this character who had this problem. So she immediately set out to do this, but that backfired when? So she engaged the help of this person and fortunately they found this answer and they learned this lesson, right? So if you can do those kind of natural storytelling things, guess what? You just created a structure for yourself. You have a plan. So I would, I would advocate for that. Have that plan and then rewrite your way to get to those points. That's your voice. That's, that's your craft. Our four-year-old did this the other day. And I realized like how intuitive it is and how much we overthink and maybe can get in our way as writers. He stood up on the couch and he just started telling this story. And it had all these twists. This, you know, person's going on this adventure, but this happened. And then you mm -hmm. think it's okay, but then this happened. But you think it's okay. And then he doubled back and like repeated the things that he had set up. And then eventually, you know, it came to fruition. And my mind was kind of blown. I mean, of course, he's been for four years reading stories stories and he watches certain Watching things. Yeah. And... But like the fact that he kind of inherently felt that that story structure, no one, we didn't sit down and like explain how a good story works. I think that, you know, you want to figure out what your log line is, ask your kid to parrot back a story mm -hmm. and they will inevitably get it down to its core. Mm -hmm. And, wow. and I, I think that's what we're talking about, right? As adults, we get in our head, we overanalyze, but a kid will just say, yeah, it's about this. Yeah. And then immediately you're like, okay, that's brilliant. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's right there. And you can even like find your log lines or practice doing log lines by asking them about their favorite TV shows that they're watching mm. right now. If you right. let them watch TV, you know, or movies. And then how simply and elegantly they come back with what those main beats are or that that one sentence wrap up, you can learn. You can learn as an adult. One thing that a lot of my friends who are writers are dealing with is getting to the pitch now. You know, you, we've all sat around. We've, you know, given notes to our scripts to death. Now we're ready to go and pitch it. We're either pitching it to each other or to other indie filmmakers or to a studio. And how do we, you know, really know where to start with building a pitch for the story that we're telling? And I want to know some, I guess, stories that are some triumphs and pitfalls without naming any names, uh -huh. uh, things you've seen in your past that really makes a pitch work. Well, you know, I think it also builds off of what we've been talking about. 
those simple story beats told in an enthusiastic way. That's all that people are asking for in a pitch. They want to be able to follow the story and they want to feel the drama or the comedy as they go. So half of it is in the storytelling, which you know, Christina, as a as a an actor, right? Um, Pilar has been uh, giving me fantastic advice and coaching <laughs> as I attempt my uh, first round of pitching. So this is coming from a very personal place. Oh yeah. <laughs> She's amazing. She's really, really good. Okay. Um, that idea of like, you know, uh, uh, sort of m- modulating your voice to to also mimic the the uh, drama or the comedy is important. And so you want to pretend for a second you're also an actor as you're also keeping your beats really clear. Gotcha. So as far as like, you know, war stories that I've heard from my clients, sometimes I've had the best writers who went in to pitch something because in this case, their their writing sample was so strong that a production company said, hey, we want your take on this property that we have. Mm -hmm. Can you read it? Come on in and now pitch your take on it. And where he went wrong was instead of pitching his take on it, he kind of scene by scene by scene by scene told them a story. And, you know, half an hour goes by. It was like, he was like, I was, he didn't know when to stop because he was bored of himself, but he was only halfway through the movie and all he thought about was scene by scene. So he knew he didn't get the job. And then, all anybody wanted was for him to get out of the room. And he was just such a good writer. This totally broke my heart, but he didn't take the the big picture long view on it. Hmm. So that's the big lesson there. Gotcha. Are you able as a teacher, I mean, you've had such a breadth of students, you know, from extreme beginners to like huge successful professionals. Are there any things that you kind of spot any themes of either this type of writer or energy or, you know, sensibility leads to success and these things are like pitfalls or is it just sort of a huge surprise where everyone ends up? Well, it's, no, I can't, I can't mark them. I can't sit there and go, that guy, that woman, Mm -hmm. I can't do that. Right. But I can give you, sometimes someone will come on in and I'll think, God, this person's a pain in the butt, right? <laughs> now, for example, there was a woman, her name is Karen, Karen de la Pena Collison. She came into my classes and she sat there right in the middle of class and she'd kind of scowl at me as I was, I was lecturing. And for everything, she'd be like, what do you mean by that? Can you repeat it? Can you give me an example? More, more, more. And I was just like, oh, Karen, I'm going to kill you, right? <laughs> But she kept me on my toes. And what I didn't understand, it was she meant it. She was listening. She was learning. She wrote down everything. She tried really hard. She consulted with me on a pilot. It it needed work. She wrote another one. It was better. And then the, the last one we did, we did story to script because that's how I work now from beginning all the way to the end. On something that was real to her, that had really reflected how she grew up with her mother. 
And as she's writing it, something's clicking. All that stuff is falling into place. And it was, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, this is, this is special. And as it developed, it got better and better and better. And she won the Nickel Fellowship with I it. knew that was going to come. I <laughs> had to be a Nickel Fellow. If we're saying, I just, yes. What a great story. <laughs> yeah, she won it last year. Um, and, you know, but to, you know, so that's a writer that was completely green and I could have written off. Mm-hmm. But those writers that say, I'm going to learn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn. I don't get it, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to write. That was her. Mm-hmm. Then there are some people who, where they're gifted is just really being chill. So that she wasn't chill. There's there's that other writer that's just very chill who gets their first opportunity and really listens to people around them, really feels out the room, understands what they're there for, what they're good at, and manages to maneuver a career because they are great to get along with and work with as they're developing as writers. Mm. So there's that person too, who's just very good with people. So I've seen both examples sure, and it's, it's a delight to watch. I have to say, just as a teacher, I'm just sitting, I just sit back <laughs> and go, oh, look at that. <laughs> oh, that's great. So cool. Well, you know, one of the topics of our, well, our show is called Back to Your Ones. And I always think about going back to the beginning and talking about people who are starting out. And I was wondering, not every person's journey is the same, but I think there are certain milestones that we reach as writers. And I was wondering, can you list off some of those milestones you've seen different writers come into starting off with nothing to maybe writing on a show to selling their show or selling their movie and things that writers should have prepared um, as they get, they reach these different milestones. Because I also have seen friends of mine who are writers who might reach a milestone, but then don't have material that then they didn't realize they needed three scripts like you talked about earlier. Um, So what are some of those things that you've seen in the writer's journey? Again, everyone's different, but maybe there's some patterns that you've seen. Sure, sure, sure. And just to clarify, I was talking about three coverage samples. It's different from three scripts. But as a writer, um, I think you nailed it as far as that people might ride high on one script right? That they they have done really well with and forgot to write another one. Mm-hmm. And there's that old classic, what else have you got? As soon right. as they get in the meeting and they don't got. So the minute that you get some, some success, great, it, it, you know, celebrate it and start working on something else because it may be the thing that gets you in the door, but it doesn't get you the sale. Mm-hmm. So got you in the door, you have your general meetings, right? And then they're saying, what else have you got? You need some pitches in your pocket for other things you're working on. So definitely have some elevator pitches about the other things you're working on, even if you're not, that yeah. you know, <laughs> because the one that they, they vibe with, that's when you go home and finish. Sure. Okay? So that would definitely be where I've seen people like they get to the general meeting, but they don't have the content and they don't have those, the short pitches. So that's on the feature end of it. On the TV end of it, Um, I do think that it comes down to that navigating the writer's room thing, that when you're in the room, you have to feel the room out. How does it work? And what are they looking to you for, for like why you're in there? It's really hard for a staff writer because sometimes you're supposed to pitch and sometimes you're not. And, uh, and you just have to go with like, why did you get the job? 
what was in your pilot that they loved. Okay, that's your expertise. So let's say that they loved your comedy. When it's time for for a joke pitch, step in, you know, or they say they loved your world building. Well, when it's time for that sci-fi moment, jump in. They want that. So it's, it's, you've got your job. Now you can't just lay back and have people tell you what to do. You have to feel things out. Do you find when, uh, you know, writers are sort of building up their samples or their pitches, it's good to stick within a certain genre or tone or to, you know, vary it up and say, here's my sci-fi, here's my rom-com here, you know, having a, a, a body of work that either shows breadth or like depth in one genre. Well, I'm always saying that you want to write whatever you want to write in the early stages when you're a baby writer. And then whatever lands is what people are going to want more of, right? So let's say that you love all these different genres and you write in all of them, but it's your sci-fi thriller that took. Now everybody's going to want a sci-fi thriller. So just know that. Now, there are some people who will say, no, don't write in all these different genres. Find your brand. But then I feel like people are forcing themselves into something where they really wanted to try this out and try that out. So my feeling is write what you love and then find the connective tissue so that you can now pitch your brand to other people. You can say, yes, I have a horror movie and I have a romantic movie, but what really um, binds these projects is my love of the underdog. You know, like like you can find that thing, you know, or how uh, in, how people without power rise to power, both in my horror and both in my romance. Right? You can find that thing that brands you. You can make the listener feel like, oh, yeah, there's there, this is all in the same wheelhouse, even if it isn't. So um, that's what I usually tell people to do. I think a couple more questions that I wanted to ask before we go um, was obviously, you know, working with agents and managers. Okay, I've gotten the job. I've gotten the room. I'm now linked up representation and I want to go out for the things I want to be known for. But maybe they're sending me out for that one script I sold. Maybe I did a comedy 10 years ago. I'm still doing comedies, but that was just something I was doing. Now I'm ready to try to do sci-fi. I'm ready to do action. I'm growing up a little bit. How do we work with our you know, reps to make that pivot and also in the industry to rebrand ourselves as we grow and, and evolve as writers? Well, I love how you just phrased it. You know, I've grown up a little bit. I've evolved. And if you can communicate that to your rep, I think that's the way to go. Um, to remind them of how long they've been working with you, how much you appreciate their recognition of your work, um, but that you want to be clear that going forward, you have this vision and you, frankly, you think you could make more money if you achieve that vision. Right on. So, so, uh, so I think that it's always good to be communicating and not trying to chase things because they tell you to, they're supposed to represent you and they make money off of you. So it needs to be, um, a relationship that's healthy. And looking future forward, I mean, you talk about how things were one way in the 90s, they changed in the 2000s. Yeah. Now we're in this interesting world where movies are a certain way, streaming is a certain way, television series are seen a certain way. And I wanted to know what you think about the landscape of what people are looking for, what stories are being made and what things that 
people are excited about in the industry and writers coming into the room in this new decade coming up? I think it's way better. I uh, I have no nostalgia for the past. Um, you know, the 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 days of the rock and roll writer in the 90s where they could make tons of money. Well, the, the money was great, but it was all going to the same. It was frankly, it was going to white men. Um, and and what I love now is there are so many platforms, um, which means there's so much need for content. People have finally woken up to the fact that like, oh, wait a minute. We live in a really diverse world. Maybe we should see that on the screen. So that's all positive too. Oh, wait a minute. There are other people who can tell stories. All right, let's hire them. So everything, in my opinion, is getting better. Now, I'm sure that there are some logistics of the industry that are harder to navigate and more of a pain in the neck for people who are writers and and development people. But I just think overall, our love of content and our understanding of it and the platforms for it are better. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. And I think a lot of our, you know, writers are going to be excited to have, you know, some of your advice who listen to the program. So really thank you for your time. Really are a treasure. We both appreciate you in terms of our writing journey and um, just getting to know you has been great. And I know our WOCF community has really benefited by your generosity as well. So thank you. Thank you. All right, ma'am. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Want to give a shout out to Justin Portis of Delicate Minds for writing our music and also Cody Gallo for giving us our AD cadence. Thanks. Everyone back to your watch.